Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today our guest is Florian Zeller, director of The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins as a man with dementia and Olivia Coleman as his daughter, who is worried about him. That's all I'll say, because I don't like when people tell me how good a movie is, and it sets an incredibly high standard, and I'm disappointed. So I'm not going to tell you that The Father is one of my two favorite movies of 2020, the other being Promising Young Woman, or that I think it is one of the best directorial debuts I have ever seen. Florian Zeller, who is French, has written novels and for the stage, but I think and hope he's going to be a major artistic force cinematically in the years to come. And I also think the advice he gives at the very end of this interview is especially helpful to anyone writing a screenplay, particularly dialogue. This film is kind of unspoilable, except for the very ending, which we're not going to reveal, but I would still recommend seeing it before you listen to this, completely cold, knowing as little as possible. I think that's the best way to see it. Here is Florian Zeller, director of The Father, which I highly, highly recommend. It's in theaters now and coming very soon to Video On Demand. Your first novel was published when you were 22. How did you write that novel? What was the process? You know, it's hard to tell. It was, I would say, the, I was trying to, to write. You know, I was trying to discover what kind of writer uh, I would be. So this novel, in the end, has been published, but it could have been just, you know, um, something that could be just for myself. Um, it, 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 I, I, I knew just one thing is that I really wanted to explore things and emotions through uh, writing. But, uh, and my dream was to, to write novels. Uh, that's all I knew. Um, I do not read those books anymore. I mean, I don't look back, but I know that it's really something uh, written by someone who was just beginning, you know? Mm -hmm. You had a lot of success by your third book. Why did you decide to, ch to go to playwriting? The thing is that it's almost by accident. Uh, the thing is that after, after my first novel, uh, someone came to me and asked me to, to write a libretto uh, for an opera. So I was involved in this uh, project and I knew a bit uh, about music, and, but I knew almost nothing about theater. And through music, uh, I, w I had been involved in, in this opera project. And I just, uh, how um, exciting it was and joyful to be part of something bigger than yourself, to be part of a team trying to just to tell a story and to share emotions. And this is how it started to me in a very accidental and intuitive way. And after that experience, I was like, I really want to, to share things with actors and on stage. And this is how I, I went to, to theater. Can you talk about your writing process and how it's changed over the last 20 years or so? Again, it's hard to tell because um, there, there is something about not being too aware of what you are trying to do when you are doing it, you know. So every time you, every time I start a new play or a new script, it's as if it was the very first one, you know. It as if you know nothing, and it's uh, it's so that you just have to follow your instinct and also just to 
to be aware of the emotions you want to share. You know, my whole experience through theater, because I've been uh, working a lot the last 15 years on stage, my, my only experience is to the desire to share things with the audience. I mean, this is something very important to me. And when I start a play, when I start a project, it's all about sharing things. Mm -hmm. It's not about trying to tell my own story. It's not trying to explain who I am or defend something. I think it's just about uh, being very close to the emotion that made me first wanted to start something. What was the emotion behind the father? It was, um, I would say two things. The first one is probably a memory. I, I have been raised by my grandmother and, and so she was a bit like my mother. And I was very close to her and I lived with her. And uh, when I was 15, she started to suffer from dementia. So. In a way, it's a very personal experience. Mm -hmm. But I knew when I started to write the play that uh, it was also very, very universal as a theme, meaning that everyone has a father or a grandmother and everyone has or will have to deal with this kind of dilemma, you know, which is uh, what do you do with the people you love uh, mm -hmm. when they are starting to lose their bearings? So, yeah, I, I think it was... I was that it was like a, everyone is concerned by this issue, so maybe we could share it. Because when you when you go through difficult or painful experiences, um, most of the time you, you you feel as if you you are the only one to 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 experience that. And sometimes art or um, let's say theater or movies make you feel that you are uh, not alone, you know, it's, it's like a consolation. It's it make you feel that you're part of something bigger than yourself and which is, uh, humanity a bit. No one who's experienced dementia, like just like people who've experienced death are able to convey what it's like to the rest of us. How did you decide to attempt that? The thing is that I really, didn't want to tell that story from the outside. Mm -hmm. My intuition is that it would be something challenging, exciting, and we can feel empathy with only if I tried to tell the story from the inside. And uh, it was also because I thought it, it would be exciting for me as a writer to, to play with the audience and to play with the feeling of disorientation, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, it was, of course, to share those emotions, as I said, but it was also because I had the intuition that it would be like an um, original way of telling a story, you know, to be like in a labyrinth. And this is something I really excited about to create complicated or yeah, complicated structure in the narrative and to yeah, to, 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 to make the audience feel as if they were through a labyrinth. Because what I really like um, is, to, is to put the audience in a, in a very active position, you know, not just to ask them to sit and to watch a story already told, but to be part of the narrative and to question where they are 
witnessing and to be um, asking questions all the time to themselves, themselves, you know? So what is going on? I do not understand what is going on because we are basically in the main character's head. So we are starting to lose our own bearings. And this is what I, I was very excited. In a way, the, the script is, or let's say the film is like a puzzle. And you can play with the pieces. You can play with all the combinations in a way it will never work, you know, because a, a piece will always uh, miss. And uh, this is what I was very interested in, to, to ask the audience to be active and to try to understand and try to be like, okay, who is this new character? What is that scene? Is it before or after? And to have to, to find the exit of this labyrinth, of this maze. And of course, the moment will come when you understand that you're not able to understand everything and uh, that you have to, to accept that your brain is not able to, yeah, to understand everything. And then you have to let it go. And this is what I really wanted the audience to go to this point where you have to let it go. And then you will be able to, to understand the story on another level, which is probably a more emotional level. So even though the film itself is like a complicated labyrinth, even though the, the, the journey is sometimes uh, complex and chaotic, I think in the end of the film, it's so simple. Everyone is able to say where we are, where we were, what was the story, and what are the emotions we wanted to, to share. Yeah, I agree. I had a very strong read of it at the end and loved it. It was, it was all the more tragic once I understood it or think I understood it. Yeah. Um, are there things that you were able to accomplish on film that you couldn't accomplish on stage for this story? Yes. It's so, as you said, the father was first to play and I, so I was very familiar with the, with the story. Uh, because it has been done in stage, uh, on stage in France and in, in many countries, and I was always very involved. So uh, I, I knew what I wanted to, to tell. But also what I didn't want to tell, or what I did, didn't want to, to do is just to film a play. I think it's not challenging, it's not exciting. And uh, so I, I wanted really to, to do something very cinematic. And I had the intuition that this play could become something very cinematic. Uh, so I kept the, the narrative of the play and then I worked a lot to, yeah, to make it very cinematic. And uh, probably, you know, when, when, you, when you think about adapting a play, the first thoughts or the first advice that you get is always to try to, to go outside and to create outdoor scenes to make it more cinematic. And it's a temptation, of course. This is the, the most obvious temptation. And in this precise case, I made the decision not to do that and to dare to stay in one, almost one room, which is one apartment. Um, because I thought it could, be, it could become, it's a paradox, but it could become even more cinematic. And I, I, I made a decision to shoot the whole film in a studio in order to be able to use the set in ways that uh, helped me 
to create this feeling of disorientation uh, in the audience. So at the beginning of the story, we are in an apartment, which is Anthony's apartment. There is no doubt about it. We recognize his space, uh, his furniture, his knickknacks, and, and step by step, we are doubting where we are or where we are not anymore. We have this uh, stranger in the, the living room pretending that this is not Anthony's apartment, but his own apartment. And, and in fact, small details in, in the design changed uh, step by step. And it was for me very uh, challenging. And it was part of the adaptation to find the delicate balance to to use the set design as a part of the narrative and to see the apartment as one of the character of the story. Scene after scenes, I, I changed uh, sometimes the proportions, I moved a wall, I changed the furniture, you recognize a painting, but it's not at the same place. So that it creates this strange feeling in the audience. You recognize the place, the proportion again, and you recognize the way to travel in it. But at the same time, it's not the same apartment anymore. So that you have the feeling that you know where you are. And at the same time, you are a bit confused. And I, I created that only through and thanks to the set design. And this is something that was not able, uh, possible to, to create uh, on stage, you know. So it's, I think this is the reason why I thought in the first place that it could become very cinematic. When you say you change the dimensions, do you mean you actually change the height and length of walls and things like that? Yeah, yeah. What it, what it, what's an example? Of something that I have changed on set, you mean? Uh-huh. For example, I mean, it was only slight changes. The audience was not supposed to, to tell exactly what had changed, you know, but just to have the feeling that it was not exactly the same. Um, for example, the, the, for the 10 first minutes of the film, uh, this is absolutely not the same colors as the rest of the film. So, you know, in the beginning, we are in the green and the yellow, and step by step, we go to the blue. So we have like a, an apartment at the, at the middle of the film. It's basically the same space, basically the same way to travel in it, but it's not the same furniture at all. And it's not the same color in... In the, in the walls but because it's not like a strong change it's hard to tell and hard to notice it it's just a, a feeling you know it's always uh in the background you know but amazing it creates a feeling uh, and then step by step the blue become more light and light in order to become a new place but still in the same space you know and this place uh, is supposed to be the hospital you know so it's like traveling and at the same time um, staying in the same very same place and it was it was a very exciting experience for all of us I mean the team when we were shooting the film because you know from one day to another it was a completely new atmosphere and at the same time it was the same corridors you know and the same doors and, and so on I wanted to ask about Anthony Hopkins, who is so amazing, so amazing in this. And I think it might be the best Anthony Hopkins performance in his 82 years. Why did you choose him? How did you convince him to take the part? It's, again, a lot about, a lot it's about intuition. But 
when I started to dream about making that movie, because everything starts with a dream, when I started to dream about that movie, the first and only face that came to my mind was Anthony's. Mm. And I had the intuition that it would be absolutely powerful in it, probably because we know him mm -hmm. through all his parts as someone who is always in control, very intelligent. And I thought it would be powerful to see him in a world where intelligence is not useful anymore, to see him losing control, you know, in a world which is at the same time very rational, but with no logic anymore. And also because I, uh, I have always admired his way to use words to create danger and tension and anxiety. And I didn't want the audience, you know, after two minutes to, to be like, okay, I know where I am, I understand this is about dementia, okay, we are in his head. This is something I didn't want because I profoundly believe that the audience is intelligent. And I wanted them to, I didn't want to, to make things too easy for them, you know? So I wanted, again, to, to question and to try to understand and to figure it out. So that's the reason why the film doesn't start as a family drama, you know? It's like a, like a thriller uh, because we are in his shoes and we are, as he is, certain that this is his apartment. And when you witness someone you do not know, pretending that this is not Anthony's place, it's really frightening and I wanted it to be frightening mm -hmm. um, and to follow his emotions, you know, uh, which is uh, anxiety, rage, uh, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was my feeling that it will, he will be the, 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 the greatest to, to play with mm -hmm. the audience in a way, you know, to, 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 to not to go, to go straight forward to, to the emotions. Um, so to answer your question, so it was at the very beginning of my dream and that's the reason why when I wrote the script, um, the character's name is Anthony because it was a way for me to, you know, to, to be connected with him and then to make him understand that it was really written for him, which is the case. And, um, but I was aware that it's not an easy dream to fulfill, you know, because it's my first feature film and I'm French, as you can see, or here. And uh, he's Anthony Hopkins. But my, my intuition was that until someone comes to you and explains to you that this is not possible, it means that potentially it is possible. And uh, so many times we are the one who close the door because we don't believe in what is potentially possible. I didn't want. I didn't want to do that. So um, I just try. <laughs> I sent the script to his agent, um, and one day I just received a call uh, from his team, letting me know that he wanted to meet with me. So I took a plane with Christopher Hampton, and we we went to Los Angeles to have breakfast with him. Mm. And uh, that's how it started in a very simple way. You know, a desire, mm -hmm. my desire and then a meeting uh, uh, so that we could feel what I wanted to, to make and to do and to tell as a story.
So you'd never met him, you'd never talked to him before, you just said he is going to be the lead of this film and wrote it for him? No, 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 no. No, no, we just uh, met for the very first time uh, to talk about uh, the script. Wow, it's amazing. And yes, but I have to say that it, it's amazing, but of course I was, you know, you are always impressed when you are meeting with someone like Anthony Hopkins, but at the same time, after two minutes, I, I knew that it would be almost easy to work with him because he's so intelligent, of course, but also humble, um, which, which is to me the signature of the greatest. Humble means... Humble, okay. Humble, I'm sorry, yeah, humble. Uh, humility, right? Mm -hmm. Again, sorry for my English. <laughs> oh, no, it was, a, it was a, an issue with the internet connection. It wasn't you. Okay, 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 great. Uh, humble means, uh, to me, means uh, the fact that felt that he leaves the room for the director, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. he, and during all the shooting, he allowed me to make the film I really wanted to make, you know? Every shot, every angle, every situation, everything was exactly what I wanted to make. And so he, he gave me this to me, which was like a real gift to allow me to make the film I wanted to make. And I'm really grateful to him uh, about that because, uh, you know, if you, don't, if you don't like the film, it's really entirely my fault. And it was the same with, with Olivia Colman because she is also very humble and very dedicated to the story, you know. They are, they are just here to, 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 to serve the story, which is really great. Why did you choose Olivia Coleman? When did you know that you wanted her? So I knew her from, uh, you know, as you, I, as you, you know, I, I come from theater. So I, I have seen her on stage a few times in, in, in London and I have always adore her as an actress. I think she's the greatest uh, English actress. And, um, and, and also, she, she has something magical about her. She has something magic is that as soon as you meet her, you love her. I think it is not possible not to love her. She has something, uh, yeah, magical. And I knew that it was really, I mean, that the film needed that, you know, to create empathy uh, with that character immediately in a second. Because it was not only the story of this old man losing his bearings. It, it's also, and at the same time, the story of the daughter um, facing this painful situation. You know, when you really want to help, when you really want to, to save someone you love, but you do not know what you can do anymore. You know, when you are lost yourself. I mean, the pain of the people that are around those who suffers and so I, I knew I need someone you would feel empathy with immediately and she has this this magic so it was my first idea and my first desire as well and I'm so um, aware that I'm very lucky because she is amazing and, and to work with her and that's the same with Anthony to work with them in a way it's very easy because they are very good, always um, connected with the director. Mm -hmm. and it, it was like an, an easy, joyful and intense process. Mm -hmm. I, I know this is your first film that we're seeing, but is this the first screenplay that you wrote? 
Yes, I mean, this is the first uh, script that uh, I shot. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> I have worked a lot with actors because uh, on stage it's not the same. But I mean, so far my life, my, my life was a lot about telling stories, sharing things with the audience and working with actors. So at the same time, it was, it was the beginning of something, this film, but it's, it was also the continuation of something that was uh, my life. Um, yeah. Are there things that you like about screenplays um, that you can do with screenplays that you can't do with novels or can't do with plays? With the script itself, I would say the whole process, it's so, um, it's a lot about things you cannot do somewhere else, you know, as the editing process, you know, what I loved about the editing, especially for that film, was to use the repetition of the same frames, but not the same characters in the same frame, to create this feeling of repetition, but at the same time, it's not exactly the same repetition, so that it's like hell, you know, again and again. And, and again, in the editing room, to be able to, in one second, to, to, to have two shots and a new character in the frame, in what seconds, you know, something that could be done only in theater, this is, uh, in cinema. This is what cinema can do, and this is what cinema only can do. And I really loved working on that. Is screenwriting a pleasant process for you or a painful process? Um, so it's here, it, it was an adaptation. So I'm sure it's not exactly the same because I, I was not starting with nothing, you know. Uh -huh. uh, but it was, no, it was an exciting process. Because, uh, because it was challenging. Challenging means, as I said, I didn't want it to be theatrical. Um, I was not looking for what could be the story. I knew the story before I started. So in a way it was not painful because I, I didn't have to face, uh, you know, the, um, the fear of, uh, of being lost, you know, in the story. But it was just challenging. How could I transform this into uh, a cinematic material, you know? And um, no, it was, it was really exciting because I had so many images that came to my mind. And also I was exciting, I was excited about the challenge to, again, to dare staying in the same place. So I was thinking, what was the, the film that um, did that? Not so many actually. Uh, and I remember I, I thought about um, Rosemary Baby. Mm. Uh, and you know, in that film, you have only almost two characters and one apartment, and there is nothing theatrical about it. And especially because the apartment itself is like a character. I don't know if you remember the film, but there mm. is like a strange cupboard at the end of the corridor um, that creates the, the danger. And the thing that something you do not know exactly what it is, but something is at stake around here. And uh, yeah, I had the conviction that it was this kind of atmosphere I wanted to create. And not, you know, just to create a scene, as I said, uh, outdoor to make it more, you know, it's cinema, it's not theater. I wanted, and also because I wanted to, the whole space of the, of the apartment to become step by step, like a mental space like mm -hmm. the main character's man mental space. So there, the, the, something about abstraction 
was at stake here. Uh, whereas cinema is always uh, realistic. I wanted to, to be very realistic. I wanted to shot the story as if it was really realistic. I didn't want the camera to tell, oh, this is, maybe this is not true. Maybe this is just in his head. I didn't want to help the audience, you know? So mm -hmm. everything was shot as if it was the reality mm -hmm. to create contradictions between the scenes and to create the, 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 the pressure in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and was it... Sorry? Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, tell me. Uh, and, and was it painful or enjoyable to initially write the play? I mean, was that an enjoyable process or was that extremely difficult? Or both? I would say both. It's, it's joyful because I think what is, what, what in, it's, I mean, this is my own experience. Uh, maybe it's not the same for someone else. But to me, when you write, uh, when, when it's too painful, when it doesn't work, it means that uh, you're not in the, in the good direction, you know? Something has to be easy because it's a lot about dialogues, you know? And uh, dialogues goes, go fast. Mm -hmm. So it's at the same time joyful because you feel that something is alive. Something leaves uh, itself, by itself, you know? Characters mm -hmm. are existing more than you could imagine. So in a way, you just have to hear what they have to say and to write it down. But at the same time, it is painful because it's always like uh, you have to fight against yourself all the time because, uh, you know, to, to, and probably against the fear. But um, it has to be difficult in a way, but it has to be joyful at the same time, exciting, alive. Hey, it's Tim again. That was Florian Zeller, writer and director of The Father, which again, I highly recommend, but of course, you've already seen it uh, because I asked you at the top of the podcast to please not listen to this unless you've already seen it. I really like his advice about listening to your characters. That's something I try to do in writing fiction. Unfortunately, my characters are absolute idiots. If you've enjoyed this, uh, please visit us at moviemaker.com. Uh, we have a magazine, Movie Maker Magazine. I promised in the last episode that Eric Stoyer would be back in this episode. Uh, obviously, it's me instead of him. I know there's a lot of disappointment out there. But I promise, I promise the next episode will be an Eric Stoyer episode and a great Eric Stoyer episode. See you very soon.